the Filmmakers Podcast exists thanks to your support. If you'd like to ensure that we can keep on exploring the filmmaking world with you, subscribe to our Patreon. episode 286 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films to TV and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. I'm Giles Alderson. I'm a writer, director and a producer and I'm delighted to tell you that on this week's episode is not only the producer, screenwriter, actor Matt Hookings, but also legendary actors Stephen Burkhoff and Julian Glover. We're here to talk about Matt's latest film, Prize Fighter, because Stephen and Julian star in the film. This is the first time that Stephen and Julian have been in a room together for 50 years. Yeah, that's right. They both star in Prize Fighter, but they were not in the same scene, so they didn't see each other. 50 years! And, yes, Boys and girls, ladies and germs, we all were in the same room, recorded this at zero one and we filmed it as well. So this should be going out on YouTube very soon as a filmed podcast. <laughs> oh yeah, we're moving up in the world. Oh, YouTube is our oyster. If you don't know, Stephen Burkhoff, uh, he has played... Uh, villains such as General Orlov in the James Bond film Octopussy, uh, who's the art dealer, Victor Maitland in Beverly Hills Cop. He was also in Rambo First Blood Part 2, and he played George Cornell in The Craze. Not only that, but Stephen Burkhoff has starred in Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange and Barry Lyndon. He's also been in The Big I Am, uh, The Girl with a Dragon Tattoo and Decline of an Empire recently. Julian Glover has also starred in a Bond film, uh, playing a baddie as well, in For Your Eyes Only. He was also in The Empire Strikes Back. He was in Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. And he played Aragog in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. He's also been in TV shows such as The Avengers, The Saint, Doctor Who, Blake Seven, Remington Steel, and very recently, Spies of Warsaw. Matt Hawkins is the star and producer of Winter Ridge, Dom Lenoir's directed feature film. And he is the star, writer, and producer of Prize Fighter, which is what we were here to talk about. But not only did they talk about Prize Fighter, but they talked about playing baddies in separate Bond films, but working with the same director. They talked about working with Spielberg and working with Kubrick. What makes them tick with scripts, characters, directors, and on set, and why they signed up to film Prize Fighter, which, by the way, is out this Friday, the 22nd of July, on Prime. So I am recovering from COVID at the moment, so I'm sweltering in a room because uh, there is a heat wave in the UK at the moment. So I've closed the windows and turned the fan off for this intro. <laughs> but to be honest, I haven't really got any side effects. I'm fine. But what it did do was make me lose a job uh, recently. And it was a very well-paying job for a very big fashion brand. I got there and did the COVID test, as you should. And yep, I had to go home. I think 
it's just one of those things. It has to be done. This is what has to happen in the film industry. And it's very frustrating. There's no question about it. People have lost out on many jobs because of this uh, disease, but it keeps everyone safe. It keeps TV and film productions going. So as much as I'm annoyed that I've lost out on a nice, healthy paycheck, it is how it is. And sometimes we've just got to accept that it is that way. But in good news this week, I have signed with a management company. Oh yeah, a nice biggie as well. That I will tell you more about very soon, but just as an upbeat note for that downbeat note. And The Stranger in Our Bed, which is out now on Showtime, continues to do well. But it's something that Dan Mervish said on last week's show. You can greenlight yourself. Set a date and make it happen. And I truly believe that. But you have to be the driving force. You can't just set a date and then, oh, hope it happens. You can't rely on others. You have to push yourselves. Don't expect anyone to come to you or wait at home thinking the phone's going to ring. You pick up the phone. You make the call. You send the email. Ask the agents, the managers, the money people, those gatekeepers. What have you got to lose? Be proactive. Make shit happen for you. Just as Matt has done actually making Prize Fighter. It's an incredible story. Uh, of resilience no matter the odds hopefully either on Friday or next Tuesday we will have a full episode with Matt Hookings all about how he did this because he got Russell Crowe in his movie he got Ray Winston in his movie he's also got Stephen Burkoff and Julian Glover in his movie that is no easy feat no I'm not saying you have to do it like Matt has done it but you have to be brave and face rejection and heartache. That is part of it. But believe in your project, believe in you, and go knock on some doors. But not if you have COVID. You can call or email in that case. But seriously, don't wait. If you think your script is good enough, and push it out there. Be brave, be your own boss, and green light yourself. By the way, do listen to Dan Mervish's episode from last week after this. It is incredible. So much insights for indie filmmakers. Uh, so many tips and tricks go listen Uh, so if you do like this episode tell your friends and then take a listen to some of our other famous legendary actors who have been on the Filmmakers Podcast from Stephen Fry Mark Strong Alice Eve Peter Dinklage Charlotte Ritchie Dominic Monaghan Julie Delpy Matthew Modine Rupert Graves Timothy Spore Emily Mortimer and Sir Ian McKellen to name a few yeah That's right. They've all been on the Filmmakers Podcast. Go to the podcast section on the filmmakerspodcast.com website. Type actors or their name and you will find that episode. You will not be disappointed. We have loads. This is episode 268. What do you expect? So as you know, we have collaborated with Q Scripts. They do sponsor us as well. Q Scripts offer script analysis services, providing detailed, constructive and professional reports on your short scripts, feature scripts and your TV scripts. Uh, They work with both emerging talent aiming for a break in the industry as well as established writers looking to take their scripts and ideas to the next level. Uh, Their experienced readers have a track record in honing scripts into the best and most appealing version for production companies and other partners. So if you've got a script that's been developed and need to hear it off the page, use scripts. They can arrange for read-through with professional actors and three months membership for free for a limited time only. Go to qscripts.com. Check it out. More info in the middle of this week's episode. 
Coming up for you very soon are some mini episodes. Basically, we have been interviewing filmmakers who've made short films, uh, people who work behind the scenes, and we've made some mini episodes for you. And they're going to be on our Patreon page. But what we're going to do on our Patreon page is have them for free. We want you to experience these. We couldn't put them in the main episodes. We wanted to do a special for you, but we didn't know where to put them. So we're putting them in the Patreon for you. And that is patreon.com forward slash the filmmakers podcast. They will be appearing either this Friday or the following Friday and it's free. And if you want to donate while you're there, you can, but you don't have to. This is because we wanted you guys to hear these, to help you with your shorts, to help you with uh, set design, marketing, etc, etc, etc. Do check those out. And if you really like this, why not uh, rate and review on iTunes? So it's easier for others to find the show. Right, let's get to it. This is is myself and Matt Hookings uh, chatting to legends that are Stephen Burkhoff and Julian Glover. Uh, and bear with us at the start of this show. There was no kind of general intro. We just fell into chatting. So that's exactly what we do here. Huge thank you to Zero One for letting us film and record the podcast there. So here you go. Enjoy. My father was a writer, yeah, and he was one of the fastest typists I've ever known, one finger only. Wow. What? It was absolute bloody magic. <laughs> you could whap up an article in five minutes, you know, just with one finger. I, so, he said, oh, I can't, I don't know what to do with all the other fingers. <laughs> just leave them hanging, right? <laughs> yeah. Just drop them off. Was you, it, 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 did that sort of influence you to get into the into theatre. Yeah, into him. No, 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 I wasn't going to be an actor till I, by, by pure chance, I became an actor. Mm -hmm. Both my parents were writers, uh, journalists, you call them, mm -hmm. uh, working journalists. Yeah. And, uh, for instance, uh, there was a time when they went out to Mallorca and met Robert Groves, the poet, and mm -hmm. uh, they didn't have any money. They were very young. And they only stayed there on condition that they did one article a day and sent them back to England. And there was one point where my father did four a day, four articles a day. One finger. Yes, and uh, just in hoping you get one place, and then that means you could stay another three days in Mallorca. Yeah. Which was nice but for you. They, they were they were writers and uh, right. a lovely atmosphere to be brought up with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine. But, yeah, but that didn't influence you to become an actor. What what did? I can't go into the history of all this. Have I got to do this? I no. do beg your pardon. I, I'll knack no. on. No, it's so interesting, in Julian. It's <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> I, I'm all ears and no mouth. <laughs> Not what I heard. <laughs> I think you've heard a few things. I'm <laughs> uh, away. away. <laughs> what, what, what happened was I was uh, um, I had to go to a school rather late because my parents ran out of money, and um, it was a school in South London called Allen's, and it was called Allen's because it was founded by the great Shakespearean Marlovian actor Edward Allen for a school for poor boys in, in Dulwich. And um, it was a good school to go to, particularly it used to be a public school, but now it was public. It was a um, special grant or whatever it is. It was formed by, paid for by the government when I was there. 
but we still had all the facilities of a public school. Anyway, uh, just gone to that school was a very young man who'd just come from Oxford, a English master, who decided to revive the long-neglected habit of doing Shakespeare at, at, at the school, which seemed a good idea with that name. He decided he was going to do an open-air production of Julius Caesar. Well, I had no idea I was going to, about being an actor. I was rather a shy little boy, would you believe? And um, <laughs> and he cast me as Mark Antony, which is arguably the show he's playing the canon. And I, I played Mark Antony. It was quite extraordinary. And and it was an open-air, modern-dress production. And, and I have to say it was reviewed in the papers. And uh, it had a very small part played by John Stride, who went on to become a star. How old were you? I was 15. 15. Wow. And um, anyway, I played that. Yeah, and I went home after that and said I've found what I need to do, mm -hmm. not what I want to do, what I need to do, and um, I just knew that whether I was any good or not, I had to do it. That's why I'm here, mm. and so I did it. And uh, they were very encouraging. Sent me to drama school, yeah. and um, yeah, which nice. I only did one year of because we had to do national service in those days. Mm. And uh, oh, it started that passion. Did you get the same passion for you? Did it feel burning from a child that to be a performer, to be a creator? Well, I, I probably had a, a feeling that is uh, general to people who are a little bit outside the system. And we felt very much like outsiders, and my family weren't at all academic. In fact, we are from a different group of people. We're, we're a different tribe to the British, which we admired inordinately, mm. because my grandparents came from Odessa. And at that time, Odessa had the same fascist government as its family it does it has today under the um, Russians. Same thing, they had to flee. They were persecuted, abused, kicked out of jobs kicked out of homes, kicked out of schools, kicked out of hospitals. And so they went on a trek over by, you know, coach and bus and boat, mainly in old trains. It took them about three months to get to Europe. Eventually they got on the boat, I think in Rotterdam, to, to England, to Tilbury. And they arrived there in about 19, or no, 1890. And they arrived at the East End, None of them can speak any, of course, any English, very few. And so there were people waiting who were like charitable organizations to say, we'll look after you. And they say, well, what can you do? And my grandparents, they couldn't do anything because they were doing manual work mainly because of the Russian laws that you couldn't be a teacher, you couldn't be this, you couldn't be a doctor. And so they were very good at manual things. So they, their grandparents, my grandfather was a tailor, a kind of cutter. And so my grandfather was a cutter and a tailor or a fishmonger. And so my father... Oh. <laughs> a tailor or a fishmonger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as long as you could smoke fish, that was very popular in, in Eastern Europe because they used to get fish, Spanish salmon from the Baltic, and they used to smoke the salmon. And they were the first people, the Jews were the first people who invented the idea of smoking salmon. So when they came to England and they still hankered for salmon, and they said, well, in Scotland they export lots of salmon. Oh, it's wonderful. So we smoke it because we have no fridges and things, and they can, can last for months. So the Jews introduced smoked fish in England. Mm -hmm. And a very famous, um, the name escapes me, an East End uh, smokehouse. And uh, it's still there today.
and they smoked it, and the aristocrats thought, oh, this is wonderful. You, know, you take this lovely flavor, and you put a squeeze, a little bit of lemon. Yes, well, the Jews are very useful, aren't they? They can do lots of things. So either you smoke salmon or you're a tailor. So even my father, who was intelligent, <laughs> so like he, he, he became a tailor, although he was very clever at school, and they wanted to... The, the headmaster said, he's such a brilliant boy, he's brilliant at mathematics, but grandfather says, no, he's got to work because my granddad had ten, ten children, mm. boys and girls, and they needed everyone to work. So poor dad left school at 14, I think, and uh, went into the sweatshops yeah. and became a tailor so that it would be natural for me mm. to become a tailor. Yeah. So I went to school, and unfortunately I inherited a little bit of his wit and went to on a scholarship to went to grammar school. Mm -hmm. And, um, but because of the obsession to be work with your hands, which is quite an honor today, but it felt in Eastern Europe, it was a bit, a bit of a kind of uh, low grade work. You know, you're either a carpenter, which is an honorable work, or you're a tailor. Mm -hmm. So anything that has no language. Uh, so because of that, instead of my father saying, look, would you, I'll teach you tailoring. When I come into the workshop, they didn't teach me any tailoring. Didn't want to because he was a bit ashamed of that past. So I left school with, with no skill. I didn't have tailoring. I'd have loved to have been a tailor and cutting and, and taking a piece of cloth and chalk up the thing and cut it and stitch it and baste it. I'd love to have been a tailor, but instead I left school at 15 with nothing to do. So I thought, well, what? Then I thought to myself, well, what? I actually thought like that. I'd like to be somebody famous. Wow. I want to be the most famous person on earth in something. Like Boris Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like Boris Johnson. I want to be either a great politician, speaker, yeah. a great religious leader like Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah. I want to be the greatest actor ever lived. I want to be the greatest writer. I just, this is all I had. And or work in a gym, become a boxer. Mm. I even had that a little bit, but my nose is broken. I couldn't box. But just idealistic dreams mm. of but having no skill in anything. But the idea of acting, and I saw movies, and I thought that would be a nice movie star. Mm. So I wrote to all the companies and said, I'd like to be in the movies. And they said, well, you've got to go to drama school. Have you had any training? I said, no, not yet. He said, well, go, go to a school. I said, well, how do you do that? And then one guy had, had pity on me. He said, do, does your parents not want you to take further education? I said, no. I said, he said, well, I'll tell you what you do. There are certain institutes in London that take on poor people. Well, not so much poor people have missed the boat. And they're called literary institutes. And there was one in Holborn <laughs> called the, the City Literary City Institute. City Lit, yeah. Wow. yeah City Lit. Around, yeah. And for five pounds a quarter, you can take their, a drama course. So I was that by that time, I had begun to work. So I was working. I became eventually a salesman. Mm. In the men's shop, men's boutique. So I'd be, yes, that's all right. It's very tedious because you had to get in at nine, though no customers turned up till about 12. And you worked all day and you worked seven days a week. Mm -hmm. And you, you were bored out of your mind. Mm -hmm. but, but you needed some money so that you could go out. And the only thing you could do when you're a young man is you take a girl out and you go to the movies mm -hmm. and you go dancing. And that's your life. I mean, what, what else is there? Unless you have a girlfriend, you're nothing. Right. 
You don't have anybody, otherwise you're hanging around. It moves an arcade, you know. They playing the, you press the pushing things, the yeah, what the pinball the balls, wizards, pinballs. yeah. So I always play that, playing pressing pinballs. Where's that? Is that in London? Yeah, in Stamford Hill. Yeah. So I, I got a job in menswear, and I just did that for year after year after year. My life just drifted away, drifted away. Just, but then I still had this dream. So when I went to the city lit. After about you know four years as a men's rest salesman, and a very and then, good one by then, I imagine. Oh yeah, it wasn't yeah. bad. <laughs> and then, how old were you then, Stephen? How old? About, well, it was from fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, of those years thrown away, and I was always working in the shop, tidying up the socks and putting the shirts together in neat orders. I thought of those people at university, laying in the grass, you know, amongst the daffodils and reading Keats to each other. Mm -hmm. and, and here am I. I felt such a feeling of hate and disgust. It was awful. I thought, I've got to get out of this. So I went to the city lit, and they said, OK, you turn up. I didn't know anything about acting. For beginners mm -hmm. and for men who've, and women who've uh, missed school, missed university. And I went in there. and. All the people in the class are sitting four sides of the room, and no one had no one had any shirt or tie. They all had roll neck sweaters. I thought, oh, this is lovely. They're all so free. And then the teacher says, "Now we're going to begin." And I thought, I thought this is so exciting. I was so moved. We're going to begin. I'm now going to become an actor. And he said, "Just walk up and down the room, feeling you're happy." So we all walked down the room happy. Now feeling that you're sad, it's introspective. And we were sad. I thought, ah, oh, I am acting. This is <laughs> the most glorious day of my life. Yeah. <laughs> and then after a few weeks, said, now we'd like you to speak. Pick us something from a play. So I looked at the plays. They never had any speeches. They were like two lines, one line, two lines, five lines. It didn't interest me. So I picked something from a, short, a collection of short stories by Franz Kafka. Mm -hmm. And I picked up a short story, uh, which I loved, called The Bucket Rider. It appealed to me enormously. It's a very surrealistic story about a man it's who rides name. on his bucket because uh, his bucket is empty of coal. He has no money, no coal, so he can ride on the bucket because it's so light. He rides on the bucket through the streets until he comes to the house of the coal dealer. And he says, coal dealer, give me a little coal. My bucket is so light, I can ride on it, please. Be. So this story, and then the teacher says, no, no, that's not what we want. We want to play. So I'm sorry it wasn't the right thing, but that's what I did. I started with Kafka, and when my very first show was Kafka, mm -hmm. was Kafka's Metamorphosis, mm -hmm. which I adapted, directed, wrote, designed, and played the lead at the Roundhouse in mm. 69 many years ago. I saw it. Did you really? I did. Wow. Oh, yeah. so, so, oh, please. Absolutely definitive. Oh, well, thank you. Oh, marvellous piece of work. Marvellous piece of work. He's always been a crazy man, this one. But he does things completely off the wall. <laughs> and, and always does his own things. He chooses his own actors and his own subjects yeah. and he bloody well he just does them yeah. mm. i have to yeah very nice very kind of you to say that you say you have to what do you mean by that because i did audition for the various institutions which i i thought god to be at the rsc it's stratford saying these wonderful lines like he did when he was 14 mm -hmm. you know 
friends, Romans, countrymen. You've got it. Lend me your ears. <laughs> I'd have cast you. Oh, wonderful. Oh, to say that on. <laughs> but they, I auditioned and they often called me back. Mm -hmm. But then they didn't want me. Yeah. And they wouldn't give me a job. And I, all, all the time I was rejected. So I thought it doesn't matter. I will make my own work. I don't need you anymore. I would like to have done, mm -hmm. but I'll employ myself. That's exactly. exactly I write the same my way. own plays. I'll act in my own plays. Yeah. I don't want you, you bum, to direct me. Yeah. You can't even direct the fucking piss up in a brewery. <laughs> I will do my own direction. That will be unlike yeah. anything yeah. you've yeah. ever seen in your life. Yeah. And what that does when you when you do that, it makes you. It makes you appreciate and realize the friends that did stick with you. Yes, of so course. It's, it's the same. Like, I've got the same thing with prize fire and everything. Like so many people said to me, you know, oh, you can't cast your friend because he was in the short in five, six years ago. No, I have to because mm -hmm. those are the people that stuck with you. I've, I've had the same experience, gone through so many auditions. I'm sure, yes, so close, you're outside and you it. make your own yeah, thing. Yeah, not got it. And then you realize when you do create your own stuff, you build this. Um, this protection around you that you only want to work with people that your friends that you know. support you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. You know, happens you, so often. Yeah. I mean, it happens with actors, doesn't it? I, you, you get it. If you're lucky, you get into somebody's sort of club. Yes. And yeah. uh, you work a lot with them. I'm sorry to say Peter Hall was one of mine in my later years. I became his old man in the end. And um, no, It's good that I, you had a connection. Think, it was and, good. And, and uh, for a while, I was part of his club. Yeah. Uh, and a, a lot of actors like that, you say, there's this director, oh, I bet so-and-so's in it, he's in it. Yeah. And uh, and that's because of security, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You know, the director knows what you're going yeah. to give him. Yeah. And People think it's a closed-off experience and you're not including new people. Yes. New people come in all the time, but it's just, I, I had this, I've had the same experience as what Stephen just mentioned, just gone through so many auditions, not got it. So then when I do create the stuff myself, I want to work with people who yes, either course. backed me, supported me, or naturally, or you know, was going to come in and bring light. Sure. Not, not well, just I am come one in of those people, and, aren't I? And, and yes, because well, you did the short well, together, didn't you? I did the That's short. Right. Yeah, it's called Then and Now. Was it? Yes, called? Then and yes. Now. Yeah, and, uh, you wrote it as well, didn't you, Matt? Yeah, yep, I was very flattered to be asked mm. to do it. And then I met this bloke, mm. and it was a lovely script. Lovely script. A very, very, did you see it? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah it's it's really good. Brilliant performances from both of you. To be fair, and uh, we sort of on that set sort of fell in love, didn't we? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and he said, you "I'm do. going to be working on. I'm going to work, do this thing about this boxer." And I thought, <laughs> "Bless his heart, <laughs> he's <laughs> going to make this big film." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there we are. There we are. And I was in it. Isn't that amazing? So how it six, works? seven years. Six, seven years. Seven years later. Yeah. Seven years. Yeah. Hey guys and gals, Giles here, jumping in to tell you about Q scripts. Well, they're a script analysis service who provide detailed, constructive and professional reports on shorts, features and TV scripts. They work with both emerging talent aiming for a break in the industry as well as established writers looking to take their scripts and ideas to the next level. They have experienced readers with a track record at honing scripts into the best and most appealing version for production companies and other partners. And because you listen to the Filmmakers Podcast, you get three months membership for free, for a limited time. So get there now. QScripts.com, link is in the show notes. Easy. <laughs> QScripts.com, check them out. 
It takes time to make things. It takes time. And like you say, we've, we're all kind of people who get off our asses and make things happen ourselves. Like the fact that you just went, well, I'm going to do it myself. It was yeah. the Camden Roundhouse, wasn't it? Right? Was yes, it? yes. Camden yeah. He's done a whole career of it, though. Mm. I mean, that's yeah, what's so interesting. He's, and he's always made a mark. Mm. He always gets reviews. Uh, all the papers always come to see you. Yeah. And there's the new Stephen Burkov show. Mm. Have you seen the new Stephen Burkov? Yeah. And uh, so I really admire you, really admire you. Well, that's kind of you, but I mean, I was probably envying you because you were always in doing the great classics. Well, not always. Yeah. Well, you're I've not. done them. I've done them. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I mean, you know, I was I between shows, hanging around, getting odd jobs, even working in a pub at one time, mm -hmm. and things are difficult. Of course. Those sorts of ghastly jobs, but so we did it, and then suddenly. And I did the Roundhouse, and that was good. I was successful, difficult production, but it was exciting. Mm. But then everything went dead for a while. Mm. Although after the great reviews I had from such a Harold Hobson, I thought people might have come in, or the RSC may have right. said, come and do come, something yeah, experimental. Try, but nobody did. Then one day I had a call um, from a casting agent who said, Stanley Kubrick's in town, mm -hmm. casting the Clockwork Orange, and he's looking for a copper. <laughs> so I'm the last person who looks like an English copper. But, <laughs> but he didn't Stanley want Kubrick would look like an English because everybody has that. In, yeah, you know, in uh, the cop films are all over the place, and so he he, uh, he didn't want to meet me. He didn't want to talk to me. He wanted me to go on a video, which is very revolutionary. Then, mm -hmm. just to, to say a few lines, improvise. And then suddenly I was cast by Kubrick. So I went to this, where he was filming, somewhere in West London by that Brunel University. Oh, Brunel, yeah. And uh, then I met him, and he just had finished a few months earlier, premiered 2001. So For I you, went in that because... That must have been incredible. Incredible. Feet, right? And because I had done my own work till then, I felt on a par with him. I felt I'm not intimidated by him. I'm not... Uh, at all put out by this man's brilliance. In fact, he appeals to me. So, but all the other casts has come to their shots. So that they were so nervous because mm. they're working with this phenomenal genius. Just done two thousand one was phenomenal. But I got him well with him. So I was like, like I like he became a father figure. Mm. So hey, Stanley, and what is the next? Uh, be coming onto my shot. He said, Sure, Steve. Well, have a look through the lens. You see, he's letting me. Look through the lens at my shot. <laughs> so I, I stepped up to the lens, thinking I'm going to see something amazing, like hyper wide angle or something. But it just looked like an ordinary shot. So I looked through the lens. Well, I wasn't there, and I said, "Oh, that's fascinating, Stanley." Yeah, I said, "I did it, and I didn't want it." So the previous scene was with this guy called it is it James Aubrey. I don't know. Yes. And he never learned his lines. He said, well, I don't know my lines before. I've blocked the scene. Then I know where I go. And Stanley says, that's your job as an actor. You learn your lines. Blocking comes later, but you learn. Because you had to do it over and over again. Had to make sure. So every time I went over the lines over and over and over again. So we came to the show. And I did the scene with Alex, uh, who played, you know, the, the, the Clockwork Orange. Mm -hmm. um, brilliant, brilliant actor. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, I had kept going over the lines right. because I didn't want to lose them. So I was going over them thousands of times. I was going bit, 
mad. Mm -hmm. That but, gets you into a worse cycle because yeah, then you think, I'm going to forget it because you know yes. it so well. <laughs> and the words don't even mean anything yes. to you, but I did it. And we got on well, and he said that was that was good, very very good. He was very pleased with me, and then he then he became a bit my friend, a little bit. Mm -hmm. So he, about a year, two, three years later, he called me and he said, uh, this time he called me. He said, would you like to be? And I'm doing Barry Lyndon, Lyndon. Mm -hmm. and as a part of Lord Ludd. I said, thank you. That would be nice and elegant and all that. I thought, oh, that'd be nice time to play a Cockney or Russian. And I did that, <laughs> and I did it with a guy called Patrick McGee. Who you Patrick know. McGee, Patrick yes, McGee. Of he played the other guy. He played the Lord, who's supposed to be German, and um, running a scam gambling. And um, Patrick is a wonderful actor, but he also gets a bit intimidated by Kubrick because he had to speak another language. All he has to say is "Fed for sure, Fed for Monsieur," and then Patrick would always say. Fed for Zier. And Stanley would say, no, for means your eyes. Fed for Zier. Zier. Oh, yes, Stanley Fockerlin. I don't get his fucking name. Yeah, Fed for. Fed for. What do you say to fucking Stanley? So take 22. It's fine. I got the, got the fucking thing. All right. And he's got an eye patch on as well. So, and the eye patch is wobbling. And Stanley says, look, you have no eyes, so you can't make a muscle wobble. So try and keep it. Say, oh, yeah, so they says, all right, still the cards, fed for sure. Yeah. Then he gets it. So about 30 takes later, and everybody's exhausted. I says, okay, that's fine, because he's very gentle, Stanley. That's fine, Patrick. You did really well. You okay? I was just going to say, he sounds like you, you know, thinking about Stanley Kubrick, you think he was would have been very tough and hard and just completely. No, very gentle. You know, but being gentle with yes. actors is the best way. You hear, you, you hear about course. Steven Spielberg and how gentle he is with actors. Mm. And how oh, yes, it's the best you let way. Them in your own space and you. He let was. Them build he said, "Don't and, worry, Pat. It's yeah. only a show. Yeah. You know, your health is more important. Your life. It's only a show. It's only a take." He says, "Okay, we're going to turn around. Then the scenes on me." Mm. Now, having just seen the, the humiliation and demolition of an actor in Patrick McGee, <laughs> I said to myself, I will not try, I will not break down, I will continue forever. <laughs> I will do as many takes as he needs, mm -hmm. and it will be flawless every time. Right. So it comes, okay, action, I'm playing Lord Ludd. Oh, and I said, did it a lot of it in French. Oh, je désire peut-être vingt-trois sur le rouge et peut-être de dix sur le noir. Et qu'est-ce que tu penses, ma grande chérie? Qu'est-ce que tu penses? C'est bien, hein? Okay, can't. Fine, Steve. Here we go again. Oh, we just deserve the teeth and the truth. Let me dig. Let me dig. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? you want? What do you want? What you want? What do you want? What do you want? The well, I did that. Then did that. Is that fine? So after about twenty takes, <laughs> I'm looking at the, the the man on the camera, and by now, because he's looking so long and so hard, he's got a red ring where the Around lens the lens, is dug right. into his flesh. Yeah. I almost I can't almost look at it. But we'd go on a bit more, fast, slow, and Stanley's waiting for me to kind of oh sorry, so I break down. Yeah. But I won't. I said the camera will break down. 
before I do, I said to myself, <laughs> I said, go on, it's about 25 takes. Danny says, I think we've got it. I said, oh, really, Stanley? Oh, what a shame. I was just getting into it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, I mean, that's the great thing, just hearing these stories. And, and you know, the, the people that, not just being here with you two, yeah. but the, the fact that you've worked with so many, so many, many amazing people. How, how did you, what was the moment when you realized it was different from theater? Or was it for you? That difference between working on camera and then working you, on you, stage. You have a, very, Julian, you, have a yeah. you have a different experience than you working on camera to theater. I know you've said this I before. Understand the Question. Yeah. Um. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm already saying. I'm, I already know the answer. I already know your answer. But he's totally killed you. Well, then, I, I frankly, I, I didn't. Um, mm. I was working at the Royal Court at the time. Mm. Um, that's how I started off because Tony Richardson, the director, uh, did a lot of work, as you know, at the Royal Court, and I got into the Royal Court, and he cast Tom Jones, the film Tom Jones which remains a classic, and uh, uh, and he did it with all Royal Court actors. And I I was just terribly excited to do it, and um, n not at all. I, I was nervous, of course, because it was a new experience, but the actual, I think you'd agree, the actual essence of acting, well, you know now, of course you do, Joe. Gosh, I'm calling you Joe. Uh, <laughs> um, you call me Jim the, the the essential quality of acting, thing about acting, is always the same, whatever you do. It, it depends, you don't, you don't shout when you're in a film. Um, however, you do make it audible. I mean, sometimes these days, uh, young lads, <laughs> they do scenes in, in pubs when there's a pub roaring with people around and they talk like this whatever. Well, we all know that when you're in a pub if it's like that you have to speak up you're not, but a, a lot of the young lads don't do that anymore but I found when I went in on this film that um, such lovely people anyway they were making a, a very jokey terribly silly glorious film, uh, film. Oh, wonderful classic and um, what a wonderful one to start off with wasn't that lucky yes. wasn't that lucky and um, and I, I felt quite easy in, in in front of the camera because I did, it wasn't actually anything different from what I've been doing for the past whatever it was years I've been in the theatre and mm. uh, I was just bloody grateful and it's that's film has stood me in good stead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it has. And you've worked with some, you know, on some amazing films, both of you. But you've both worked in a James Bond film, right? Both uh, played the baddie in the James Bond film. Played a baddie in a Bond film. Yeah. How was that? experience and does it you know in terms of the leveling up and all that kind of stuff and it's james bond it's forever it's who, i can't remember who was your bond um roger moore, oh, same, roger moore. Me. same he had the same so you were the bad yes. with the same bond he defeated you both didn't he technically yes, yes, yeah well it was very exciting always to work on a big uh, epic motion picture mm -hmm. and the bond films of course spare uh, nothing is spared for it, you know. The money is mm -hmm. somehow limitless. The sets are beyond belief. Mm -hmm. uh, everything is super glorious, fantastical, amazing. And the actors are usually, you know, the tip top actors. And so it's, uh, it's lovely to be there. And um, I, I just enjoy doing it and doing my Russian. Mm -hmm. And um, in, the, in the beginning, they had a war scene, which was a huge circular, like, um, set, which was um, what do you call in theatre? 
Yeah. Uh, the, the goes round in the round, uh, not proscenium. It's the proscenium, the straight in the round, one, third like, in the round. Yes. But yeah, like a theatre in the round. Stage. But the whole set, as we sat, would revolve. Oh, the set mm. worked, and you sat yeah, still. That's right. Oh, oh, yeah. Nice. The set that worked round to show yeah. the, mm -hmm. the cities and a giant map of Europe, which I had planned to bomb with my nefarious. Uh, kind of power-seeking, dynamic, psychotic mind. And so <laughs> the thing goes round. And then uh, so I sat there and I thought, I had my beautiful uniform on and slightly shaved head. And I thought, who can I think base it on? And the only person I thought, because sometimes actors, we look for someone to base it on or something. Mm, mm. And I remember George Scott in 2000, no, in Dr. Strangelove. Yes. Oh, yeah. And I thought, a, that's got to be like George, a Russian George. It's a great so, film. Such yes. Great so that's, that, that's, that's what we did. And um, I, I enjoyed doing that. And I even made one or two suggestions. Nice. Um, and, and we did it. And I pointed out with my stick, why first we going to bomb? First we go to Paris, then bomb in Rome, then we go bomb uh, Yugoslavia, then Bratislava, then we bomb, then the Bucharest, then the Budapest, then in London, and this, with this idea, because we place the thing in it, because this guy's totally mad, how we get rid of the Western world. And uh, so that, that goes on, and then George Roger Moore's in after me, and... Uh, mm. What year was that? What, what that was 1980. Right. Mm. And when was, when was yours, Julian? When did you Can't remember. Was it before? It was 1981. It's the year after. Uh, must have been the one after you. Yeah, yeah, yeah literally the one after. Yeah. Yours was for your, for your eyes, eyes only. only. Oh, yes. Yeah, you were octopus. What was interesting about that film was that um, they decided that the, the characters should be very recognizable people. And it was whether it was me or Topol who was the baddie. You didn't discover who was till the middle of the yeah. picture. But we were recognisable people. We didn't have hooks on the end of our hands. We didn't throw hats, you know, or have cats on our lap. <laughs> oh, and, it, and, it, and also, Bond um, was better at everything than ever anybody else. He, he that's that was his skill, but he couldn't press a button and that building would blow up. Uh, that wasn't that sort of magic Bond film. Mm. It was all about actual people, and so we had to be people. And uh, so I'll maintain the innocence of um, my character in that film till the day I die. <laughs> <laughs> as you should. You both have the same director as well, John Glenn. Sure. John Glenn. Yeah, yeah. He directed oh, he the two films back to back. back, yeah. back yeah. Which must be interesting. What did you learn John from? John was lovely. From that, yeah. What did you like? You said with Stanley Kubrick, how the gentleness really helped you as actors. What did you learn? Because theatre, it's very different. It's very immersive. You're building every day. What did you learn from film directors that would help our listeners over your time? What really helped you guys? Well, again, um, uh, the, act, the the director who actually admires his actor has chosen the actor because he thinks he's good um, and so only needs to nudge him this way or that way. But I find there's nothing worse than a, a director who shouts at you. It, it completely put the I'm not strong like Stephen. Uh, not it completely strong put, puts the willy up me when people, people yeah. shout at me and uh, say, no, 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 Julian, I, I can't take that. And I, I don't respond well to it at all. Uh, no, but but John Glenn, I mean, he was a lovely, perfect gentleman. Yes, he was. But he would give that little 
just little down nudge, little, little note tweak, just, yeah. and, and only say oh yes yes you're absolutely right and, and do it his way or sometimes you said no I don't want to do that John it's not right I just, uh, and he'd go why and I'd do my boring actors thing about why and usually I got away with it and, um, my face looks better on the right <laughs> you know this John well, it's the same with all directors I mean, we, we had a really gentle director on Prize Fighter yeah, uh, he, he was so, so sympathetic and interested yeah. and I mean, really interested. You could see every time he did a shot, he he really wanted to do that shot, right. and uh, and that so that draws the actor in. Even if the actor's sitting on the side on a, sitting on, sitting on at the table drinking coffee, because it's not he's not in that scene. He's drawn into the scene, into the show, because he sees the enthusiasm of the director, which affects the actors, which which makes it good. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of it's about energy and, and how. The energy you create, whether it's the director or the actors or whoever, if you create the right energy and everyone's getting along and, and sort of working. Well, right you way. could teach us a few lessons about energy, Matt. Honestly, yeah, he'd have to have it. I don't know how you fighter. did it. I really don't know how you did it. <laughs> I, I could never have done it even when I was young and fit. Really? Oh, did you never God. want to direct? Yeah, I mean, you've directed. Oh yes, but you, yeah, yes, I you, did. I you did. did. I've done it a couple of times. Mm -hmm. I remember my first wife, I did acting, saying, ah, you're now being serious, Julian. <laughs> really? <laughs> when, I, when I directed a couple of things. Mm. Um, the most notable was actually Hamlet, where we were asked to do a family Hamlet up in Norwich. Um, and so my son played Hamlet and my wife played Gertrude and I played the, the ghost because that was the father. The king, yeah. And we found it tremendously useful, really interesting, really interesting. And I directed it as well. Um, and it, it, was, it was quite good, but we found extraordinary things because we knew each other so well. There was one terrific moment in it when, which... <laughs> When, when my son Jamie Glover was a very little boy, he was found with his friend um, behind a curtain with matches. And my wife, who's the gentlest soul, just was so upset, she walloped him. And he walloped her straight back. Oh, wow. And uh, they, then they both laughed. We got to Hamlet at the very first rehearsal of the closet scene, the mm -hmm. famous closet scene. Yeah. Uh, this is exactly what happened. She hit him for, for, out of anger. Right. And he hit her straight back. And that came, and all the rest of the cast, oh! and of course we kept it in. That was because we knew each other. Mm. We knew what was going to happen. Mm. I didn't know what was going to happen. I went, whoa, <laughs> fantastic. That's Jamie behind the curtain, isn't it? <laughs> the matches. Uh, but it was a wonderful experience, wonderful experience. Mm. It's that talk uh, of knowing and having that connection with your actors. Well, again, this goes back to your thing about, about actors exactly. and directors being gentle with people. Mm. Um, uh, you, I don't find you anybody gets really good results. But any uh, put the actor, uh, an actor, you know, he, I'm afraid, uh, unless you're someone called Stephen Burkhoff, you're... You're a rather delicate little plant mm -hmm. who needs the baby bio poured on him. And, uh, mm. Oh, no, I like you? the baby bio poured on Do me. Do you? I love it when you the were director, very, when we did our director tells you you're good. And, well, he, and he tells you you're good. Yes. Oh, it does help, doesn't it? Yes, it's, oh, that was a lovely <laughs> scene. Oh, keeping, I don't change him as well. <laughs> and then it, that fills you with somehow not only just confidence, but you feel redeemed yeah. because an actor's yeah. life is what he does. Yeah. <laughs> when he's somebody else when he's acting 
And if you're rejected for that, it's human. You're it's, rejected as a human being because yeah. as a painter, you can paint. Yeah. People don't like the painting, or I, I'll throw that away. You start another one, a piece of music. I've got other music. Yeah. Mm. But when you're an actor, that is you. You're using your own body, your own voice, your own experience, your own memories. Yeah. And if you are rather dismissed, it takes a while for you to kind of crawl out of that miasma of self-depression. And and uh, <laughs> climb and, and, and find another way because uh, I was directed by this chap John Glenn. He used to be an editor, but it's like a family group. You see, with Barbara Broccoli, this daughter of Cubby Broccoli, mm -hmm. and her friend Michael, Michael Wilson, and they treat the whole Bond thing like a big family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They use the same cameraman, the same DP, same sound, the same costume. Yep, that's why they do it. And it's, yeah. so they have a wonderful camaraderie. And John Glenn has been editing the film for years. Suddenly they offered him director yeah. of a major million, multi-million thing. Ridley Scott does the same as I. He uses yeah. a lot of the same thing. And he did very well yeah. and he was gentle. And you could make suggestions yeah. and they'd laugh. But even, uh, I mean, even you were saying about, he was like, when we did our scene together, we did our scene together in Lithuania for prize fire and it was a prison scene and you you know you you uh, don't mind me saying like he was very you were very gentle then and daniel was coming over to him and saying how do you feel steven he's like yes can i do this can i do that and the great thing is when you were let go you just you know just he just of course just it did absolutely blossomed yeah. and was, was wonderful but i think um it, it's yeah it's it's having that kind of that gentleness and support well that, then that you really get the encouraged. best out of your actor yeah, exactly i mean yeah. i think People have come to life and been dynamic. Yeah. Like Peter Sellers and Dr. Strangelove because Kubrick laughed and thought, Peter, you're delightful. Yeah. And he says, maybe I'll improvise around this. Mm. Yeah, please do anything. Do anything you like. So what what a what a joy. Well, do it's, anything it's you like. It's biological. If you're if we're happy, yes. like, that broods confidence. And if you're confident, especially in front of a camera, then you you the hope is you shine. But it's having <laughs> that support, right? It's having the person at the top, if you like, of that chain yeah. who's supporting you as the actors to go, I feel confident to do what I'm doing. Whereas you were saying, Julian, where you get pushed down or someone's shouting at you, that doesn't bring out people's yeah, best no, work. No. But people still do it. And I find that amazing. Why would you not work closely with your actors. Sure. Which must be more interesting, much more fun to actually get on with the actor yeah. than right. not to get on yeah. with him. How, what was, it, was there any difference between Steven Spielberg and Irving Kirshner or oh, yes. anything like that? What was the difference in their directing styles? Well, Kirshner's divine, but he's not as good as Steven. He's, just, <laughs> <laughs> he's dead now, you can probably say that. <laughs> we enjoy working with Irving Kirshner very much indeed. He's yes. a, a great man of the theatre too. And, um, mm. But then so is Stephen. The thing about Stephen is that he knows everything about the cinema. He knows how to do everything on the set except act. And like some directors who don't, don't can't act, hate actors because they can, Stephen simply admires actors who can. And um, so working with him was paradise absolute paradise because you knew he was totally on top of the job uh, of the job at every point he knew exactly what he wanted and uh, and he cast you because you were you mm. so I said, we've touched on this before yeah. because you were the person he wanted to play that part and it seems to me quite obvious that that's the way to do it but uh, and he was oh well just absolutely perfect and all, uh, the, all the great stories seem to be like the most human it's not you know you, mm. very rarely do you hear someone go right okay I went in I auditioned the hell out of it I had to go through all these things some of the you know the most human stories are the ones where you're talking over the fence to your friend <laughs> or you know someone 
And it, it's again, it's happened to me. It's the same thing that's happened well, to me. About uh, seven years ago, I did a very short film for the, this young film director called Then and Now. Mm. And um, it was a p- purely short job. Mm. But I got another one out of it. So it's later oh. on, it's about where he must have liked me. Mm. Yeah. Every, well, every seven years. Yeah. Yeah. What, what is it that you find when, because you do help filmmakers these days and you do get asked to come on board maybe second time director or even first time director what is it you look for there is it the script is it the what the director says to you what, what is it you that appeals well for me merely being asked is the appeal enough <laughs> right. completely really? agree with you really yeah I mean, oh never mind so how good the script is like i read about some actors who say Oh my God! The, the scripts are coming in fast and furious and such junk. I can't find it. I thought fast and furious. <laughs> if I just get one script, I don't even read it. Mm. Yes, I'll do it. <laughs> and for us, it's the different side. We, 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 you know, yeah. as young filmmakers, we think there's no way we can get Stephen Burkoff or Julian Glover because they're, you know, mm. in hot demand all the time. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, 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 here we are panting for a script. Who's got the script? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a weird parallel of that. How like. We, you know, we think they're impossible to get to, but but ninety or eighty percent of actors aren't working all the time, and mm. some very intermittently, and they're very glad just to be asked. Yes, yes. So if you suddenly say the agent says we've got the script is sitting here, and they're not doing anything weird, mm-hmm. um, you're not taking your you know your pecker out, taking your clothes off. You're not doing anything to make your mum ashamed. <laughs> sure. And that sometimes that has been a big influence to me where I've turned down a film. Right. But if it's um, just a reasonable script and you're a reasonable human, mm-hmm. you just take it. You don't give a damn what the script's like. When you become in the high echelon of actors and then you can pick and, oh, I don't fancy this. And they've been known to turn down great films. What a wonderful <laughs> position to be in. Right. So oh, you've God. not turned anything down that you went, oh, I wish I'd done that. Yeah, you must well, have in that position. You have. Go <laughs> yes. on, Stephen. Yeah. I once met uh, David Lynch. Mm. Wow. And he asked me to read this script. Well, actually, it was the Italian producer, Dino De Laurentiis. Mm-hmm. I got in touch to say there's a script that I could have a look at called um, Blue Velvet. So oh, I looked at it and I thought, what a piece of junk. And I admire David Lynch enormously. Mm. And I thought his films, particularly his very early films, is Razorhead. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? Yeah, mm-hmm. of it's phenomenal. Mm. Then, of course, Elephant Man, phenomenal. But he's got a script, it's Peter Junk. Mm. And very erotica at the time, right? That, to read it wasn't it, even erotic, it was like a bit dirty, a bit grubby. Right. And I, I was a bit caught between two worlds because working in the theatre. That does make you a little bit fussy about what you do because the theatre is often very literate. It's very smart. It's very innovative, Mm. very moralistic. So I had just been directing a production, my adaptation of Kafka's The Trial, and I had been doing it in uh, Israel at the Habiba Theatre. And uh, it wasn't a great show. The actors weren't that committed. But I was doing The Trial. Kafka is quite one of the greatest writers ever lived. At that time, this offer came in for Blue Velvet, and there was a scene where the the, the hero, so to speak, is uh, beating up this woman, and he's in the back of a car, squeezing her tits, and then chewing on the Blue Velvet. I thought, I can't do this. But my actors in Israel, having just done 
a major production of the trial. I'm chewing velvet in the back of a taxi. They say me going, so I said, you know, David, there's no director in the world I'd like to work with more than you. But I can't get over this. Why is he, does he have to chew it and squeeze the woman's tits like shouting? Well, that's, I read about some people have psychosis about chewing. They read about it, didn't either. I said, well, look, if you can't get anyone else, I certainly... And he said, well, that's that's not really what I, I'd rather you... And I've got this guy who eventually did it. He, he rings me up all the time saying, I am this guy, I am this guy. You can't do better, I am this guy. And David says, oh, this is an actor I don't want. I don't want an actor who says, I am this guy. I want an actor to act it. So he came to London, David Lynch, and he said, well, we're going to get you a big wig, like a Roy Orbison wig, because you're going to be singing in it and doing funny things. One of the Roy Orbison's all appealed to me. But then when I read it, I just done the trial, and I got a bit guilty, and in Israel, they see me doing it. Somehow, I don't know why I should say, well, it's just a movie. So I didn't do it. And then it became the biggest hit. Mm -hmm. And all the things I didn't like, he cut out of the film. Oh, really? So he cut out the chewing, and he cut out the... And, he, and, and, uh, and everyone wondered why it was called Blue Velvet because <laughs> yeah. it wasn't in there anymore. Blue, Blue Velvet. <laughs> Let's talk about Price Fighter a little bit because that's one of the main reasons why yes. we're here. Obviously, it's a fantastic boxing film, and Matt's put this together so well with his team and got it to where it was. Obviously, you because you'd made the short together now and then, Julian. I suppose it's an easier in for you to discuss. Shall we do this? Um, but with there wasn't Steve, any discussion. It was like he said. Yeah. He asked me to do it, and I said yes. That was it. Didn't, I hadn't read it. I hadn't read, read it. it. Just I'm in. I would Brilliant. have done it. I would have done one line for him. That's at, really, at, nice. at, really? At, that, at that point because right. I knew he needed his friends about him, mm. and um, which, as we talked about earlier, you got a lot of your friends about you, and uh, I don't. I, and particularly as he talked about it so early and I thought he'll never get this off the ground he'll never get this off the ground and uh, I rather like Sam Wanamaker building the globe mm. I remember him talking in the green room at Stratford saying I've just seen the, the site where it used to be I'm going to rebuild it all we young actors went, oh, these Americans think they can do it <laughs> <laughs> just come in and rebuild I never it. thought you could get this film off the ground and you bloody it and look at the car look at the cast you got absolutely mm. unbelievable incredible how did you get involved Stephen can you remember the conversation remember how, how, how was it was it again across the fence was it Matt leaning across <laughs> well, chucking something? I hardly know well I have no. this agent and um, mm, good he just said uh, <laughs> I, I have something for you if you want to do it yeah. and I uh, said well what is it yeah to make sure it wasn't anything a bit porny exactly you have to get your pecker you know, out again you know, he usually does mm -hmm. and um, and he said no it's about a boxing film and the, Sounded interesting, and then he said it's flying to Lithuania. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, that, that'll be nice. I love. Oh, so that was the, the that carpet. was the intrigue, yes. right? Okay. <laughs> no, Lithuania is wonderful, though, isn't it? It's it right. is. And so for many actors, you see, we we're often just at home, mm -hmm. you know, watching EastEnders every night, and washing the dishes, and <laughs> taking the kids to school. Wishing you and were in EastEnders. <laughs> you say you're wanted in LA next week, yeah. or yeah. Venice, yeah. or Lithuania, mm. or places you've never been to in your life. So some in some ways. Acting, and like any other profession, well, the performing arts, particularly acting or dancing, is like being on a magic carpet. 
So you can just be sitting at home, and all you're doing is defleeing the cat. <laughs> then so the phone rings, <laughs> and so they say, Steve, are you free tomorrow to fly to Nice? Why, what happened? Well, Terrence Stamp has just walked off the film. <laughs> Again. And, uh, <laughs> and, and they're looking for somebody who can fit his clothes and everything, like, for the reason, bits similar. It's so nice to read a script and you go, right, okay, because it, 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 you know, we are very lucky in the sense that we get to travel and meet, you know, we, we, it's, like I said, it's a, it's a job that just, you get to travel and meet with all these two people and spend a, like a sort of a marriage with people for a couple of months or a couple of, of weeks and be sort of, you know, in with them yes. every single day. And then you go off and, and, and live the lives. We, we had you on Prizefighter with uh, Martin and Martin. Ray. Martin, what a yeah. wonderful actor. Yeah, he's fantastic. I remember we, we did the first day with Martin Kosak and Julian sat down. It was the first scene, first scene that you were in actually. Yes. In the card game. And... He just Julian sat down and we did one take with Martin. I remember you looking over. You said, "Who the who the hell is that actor?" You said, "He's bloody fantastic." Because <laughs> he just whoosh. brilliant actor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's really good in the film. He, he plays a lot of different. Oh, different I, roles. I knew he would be brilliant. He was being brilliant in that scene. I was rather intimidated. He was just he was so wonderful, and also that particularly that part was one I would like to have played 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it really was. Well, I, I remember, my, it was up my street. That's yeah, right. Part. I remember, yeah. remember I came to you and said, I think it's going to happen. Yes. I emailed Julian. I said, I, I think it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but you know, I'd love to get you in. Um, and he, he's, I said, it's, it's the Lord. I think I just said it's the Lord. And there was, there was two Lords. Right. And he come back and said, he come back and said, Matt, you know, I'd love to, but I'm too I, you can't have me. I'm getting hit. I'm fine. I'm jumping around. He said, you know, he was like, I don't know if I can pull that off. I said, no, no, it's the other, the, it's other, the Lord. other Lord. And then he went, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was, it was good with Martin and, and uh, Martin, Martin uh, Kosak, Stephen, he's done loads of various roles so he's he's kind of unrecognizable you'd recognize his face but you'd go god he's done so many different roles and it, it was a nice um it was a nice thing sitting down because it was it was a card game scene where you just think okay a conversation and when someone lights it up or, or just you know it started off quite nice and then all of a sudden we're just like, oh okay you're bringing that yeah and then it, it brought everyone else which was which was great it was uh that's nice my really nice set sometimes isn't it when someone Brings a performance almost. Oh, surprises you as well. Oh, you go, God. right? You do that yeah. makes you up your game, right? Yeah. Or does it make you just go, good? I'm in. So inventive hand. he was. So right. inventive. It yeah. just, I think it just, it just created a nice, like it created a nice moment. Like you said, it, it makes you go, okay, you got to be on your 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 A game, and also, um, you know, like Julian said, it was just, it was just sometimes you just you 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 are acting and you're so in the role. Mm. But those, there was times even filming this, just going, God, you know, I'm, I'm acting in front oh, of. Stephen this does person. this all the time. Yeah. Pretty well every time you see him, he's something different, yeah. and he's always, "How do you do that?" Yeah. Uh, oh, Julian, you're just being awfully kind <laughs> to me. <laughs> well, what's the? There's no advantage to me being awfully kind to you. Oh, there is. Oh, why are you employing? No, he, he he is right. I mean, the scenes that we did every single time. Sometimes people do just things different every time to just mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes it's it's confusing because you've got continuity all this kind of stuff. But when we did this, you'll see the scene. When we did the scene together, it was just he was just sitting there and he was just building and building. And Daniel, the director, he you you don't know this. He came up to me. He said, Matt, 
I just, I want to keep filming this. I just want to keep going and going. And I remember him coming up to you and he said, Stephen, how do you feel? And Stephen said, well, I've done a couple of takes. If you know, if you got what you need. And Daniel, Daniel looked at me and, lo and looked at Stephen. He went, of course I've got what I need, but I want to keep going. because I just want to yeah, yeah. watch you. And Stephen was like, well, you know, come on. Let's, let's get a bit go. more dialogue in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he, he did. I mean, the, the dialogue that you learned on that day, probably completely forgotten it out. I mean, Julian, he learned like, yeah. Oh, there was a lot. A ton of monologue. Did you shoot it in um, one day? In it was over two days, wasn't it? Right? About two days, oh, yes. It's a bit of time to relax. Did he make you go through the whole thing all the way through in, in one, one take? take. <laughs> no. no. No, he didn't do that. Well, no. not that cruel. <laughs> no, I think he just did it up to where that needed to change. Uh, a physical change where I'm sitting yeah. and the first bits where I'm close to you at the bar. So therefore you really needed to do it in two or three takes. How was the experience for you on Prize Fighter? you know, in terms of what... Oh, it was a thrilling experience. I'm suddenly working again. <laughs> stepping into a studio. <clears throat> I hear the sound of light, lights, silence. <sighs> Oh, yes, we're working, working again. Makeup, makeup. And everything's right. Costume, which is rubbish costume I had. And then afterwards, it's the joy afterwards. You're out of England. You're in a country and with a great hotel. Fantastic, where they have these Wagyu burgers. Yeah, it was, <laughs> oh, do you know what? We should talk about that burger because drinks. it is. They treated you well. Oh, Every person has this burger. There's breakfast yeah. that you can't believe. Mm. You think, God, what a gift sometimes to get out of England to see how life really can be. Well, listen, this has been really fun. Really enjoyed chatting to you both. Oh, likewise. So good to... Get out the house. <laughs> You're facing a Gotta camera. Gotta stop defleeing the cat. Seeing other Jolly, people. Yes. Defleeing the cat. Yes. Yeah. yeah. My best thing about this afternoon has been to know that you've got a cat which tolerates you defleeing it. <laughs> My fucker doesn't. No. Oh, God almighty. Do you both actually have cats? Yeah. I, we have two cats. Yeah. Right. It's not no, just a you euphemism. Got a, yeah. No, I used to. Unfortunately, he's passed on. No, I had a Bengal. He was a beautiful cat. Very oh, wow. funny. Very friendly. You both got so much energy. I mean, well, I mean for me, this a, has been, you know, I mean, I'm, in, I'm in awe. It's, it's, it, I didn't even, I, you know, text you both saying, could you do this? And the fact that you both said yes, is, it means the world. Well, so. It's been lovely. And when yeah. you said that Julian Glover was coming, well, I couldn't resist. That's <laughs> right. I, I, I had to play you off the judge. I said to Julian, I said, meeting a real actor. Julian said no first I said Stephen's coming he said yes yeah. you said no as soon as I said Julian's no, coming yeah, so listen thank you everyone for listening this has been an absolute treat for you all you can go out there and make your film as Matt has done Price Fire is out now so do go support honestly it's been a labour of love for Matt and he's got two wonderful actors in the film as well so do go do that and if you're lucky enough to rise up and do all this it's your duty to send the elevator back down we will see you all next Tuesday as always I've hoped you enjoyed this first video version of the Filmmakers Podcast but it has been an absolute delight Julian Glover thank you for your thank time thank you Stephen Burkhoff thank you thank my you. pleasure thank you our pleasure thank you so take much take care everyone we will see you next week all the best. Okay, bye. Bye.